Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O. Hello, and welcome to the ninth episode of The Sulfuric Secrets, a podcast from between two worlds. The Sulfuric Secrets tells a fictional story over hundreds of years, taking real-life events, people, and places. Over the last fortnight, we looked at the 40-year history of the Heaven's Gate suicide cult. Now, we look to somewhere very close in time and space to 1955 New Mexico, Southern California, at the turn of the 20th century. An area that has enough energy for many magics and many temples. Episode 9 of the Sulfuric Secrets is called Black Powder and White Powder. Please be advised that this episode contains mature content that might not be appropriate for all audiences. Margaret Olsen didn't wake up in a black, dark basement. She had been awake the whole time the bag was over her head. And her captors seemed to know that knocking someone out can cause permanent brain damage. But that chalky undertone in Maggie's mouth made her wonder, had her memory failed her? Margaret felt a presence in the room. Who's there? She asked. Margaret could hear footsteps approaching over her own panicked breath. Margaret squirmed in the wet patch on the seat she was cable-tied to. She at least knew that her body had failed her, but maybe seeming more harmless than she was could work to her advantage. If this is about Jack, I haven't seen any of your faces. You don't need to kill me, she pleaded, not needing to pretend that she was terrified at this point. Margaret heard a rustling as a man seemed to pull something out of a bag. You don't have to torture me. I'll do whatever you ask, please. The rustling stopped. Oh, I'm not in that department anymore. Torture? Margaret asked. Mind control. But you are right, Margaret. Whether you stay alive or not is entirely up to you. Margaret realized that she recognized the voice as the man from the funeral. After an odd pause, the man continued talking. All you need to do is tell me what I'm holding in my hand, the man said. Margaret began to worry. How did they know? Margaret worriedly scrolled through a mental shopping list, warning Jack about Pisces Reef Base, recommending Madame Lumen, 
She had been careful. Made them look like coincidences. Books she read. She had been taught well on how to cover her tracks. (coughs) The man coughed sharply, reclaiming Margaret's wandering attention. If they had killed Jack, then there was no point hiding her secret anymore. It's... an orange, Margaret said, defeated. The man exhaled smugly as his suspicions were confirmed. He placed the orange back in the bag and went in to pull something else out. Margaret cut Desmond Lynch off before he could toy with his prey any further. And in your pocket is a letter from Gaspar, the last one he ever sent you. Margaret could swear she heard him clench his fist. It took a second for Lynch to recompose himself. We'll change you into something clean. Better yet, something comfortable. You're going to be here for a while, he said. In the early 1900s, a group of magicians fled the oppressive grasp of Thomas Edison, a master sorcerer who threatened to plunge the world into hypnosis with his dark new art. The Rolling Hills allowed for a quick escape to Mexico if Edison cast demons to hunt down these magicians who were building their own empire of ceremonial magic. The magicians built five major temples that espoused five great religions. And through the very careful guidance of high priests, they pushed the limits of ritual magic. Through the use of strange costumes, arcane props, and ecstatic drugs, they were able to literally transform the ceremonial participants into other people. The experiment of the five temples was so successful that the spells were eventually cast the world over on darkened rooms of hundreds of people. And so, the nickname of the Holy Wood that the five temples were built on became permanent as the land of magic known as Hollywood was born. A cult filmmaker, Kenneth Anger, called the multi-billion dollar recreation of ancient Babylon and Belshazzar's court in the 1916 film Intolerance, the beginning of the Purple Epoch. The crumbling movie set still stands today in the desert as a memory of this antique land. And round the decay of this colossal wreck, nothing beside remains. The 1920s was dubbed the Golden Age of Hollywood. But over this Golden Age, the Holy Wood was slowly decimated by continuing scandals. Alistair Crowley described the Holy Wood as the cinema crowd of cocaine-crazed, sexual lunatics and swarming maggots of near-occultists. Which, 
if you know Crowley, is really saying something. This was the era of the white powder. Due to its legality, the cocaine comedy was a staple of cinema at the time. But the wholesome image that cocaine had was tarnished forever after the three-day white powder and booze bender of Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle, the king of slapstick comedy and family entertainment, led to charges of rape and murder of the actress Virginia Rapp. Rumours of suicides and murders, including Paramount producer William Desmond Taylor, were connected to the other white powder. And fears increasingly grew of the influence of the seedy underbelly of the dope trade beneath the shiny veneer of the holy wood. By 1930, the seven magicians of the five temples called forth their hierophant to provide a sense of order to the disparaged lands. His name was William H. Hayes, and he instilled the Hayes Code, an oppressive scheme designed to instill a sense of morality in pictures coming out of the holy wood. But, far from a genuine man of the cloth, Hayes' time previously as the chairman of the Republican National Committee brought with it numerous scandals, including multiple charges of bribery. It was the perfect solution, though. An even shinier veneer and an even seedier underbelly. And an underbelly now given free license, so long as they were hidden from public view. One of the five temples took on the motto, More Stars than there are in heaven. This was true. The star, the universal symbol of the magician, became the title bestowed on the highest anointed members of each of the five temples, who, in turn, were worshipped like gods of old and became truly godlike in the revelry of their wanton drug and sex-fueled bacchanalia. But this motto now seems like an ironic echo as at the same time the motto was coined, the Great Depression decimated the five temples. All the stars fell from heaven throughout the 1930s. Jack Gilbert drinking himself to death, Marie Provost's rotting corpse devoured by her canines, Milton Sills driving his limousine off a cliff, Robert Ames sucking down on a gas pipe, Carl Dane and a revolver to the brain. Even the temples found themselves on the verge of bankruptcy. And, as always, the white powder behind the stars. As Crowley said at the time, every man and every woman is a star. To study them is to study ourselves. And like so much else in the universe, we see yin and yang. The white powder that influenced the formation and fall of the stars and temples serves as the bright, masculine, positive yang. In contrast, the black powder, a compound of asphalt, developed in secret to make the world's first rocket fuel, served as the dark, feminine, negative yin. Both the white 
and black powder were essential to the occult history of Los Angeles in the 1940s, with the former making stars out of men and women, and the latter eventually leading men and women to the stars. Marvel Whiteside Parsons, or Jack, was born in 1914 and lived a life defined by two obsessions. The first was science, specifically in the area of rocket propulsion. One of the defining moments of his life was in 1936 when he and two others approached Theodore von Kármán at the California Institute of Technology for funding into rocket propulsion research. Against the advice of every professional there, they were awarded use of the world-famous Aeronautics Wind Tunnel, but no funding. The funding instead came from powder, Parsons' salary from working part-time at the Hercules Powder Company. After another member of the Caltech Aeronautics Lab joined the team to make four, Parsons coined the team the Gausset Rocket Research Group. But the term that the rest of the Caltech staff dubbed them would be the one that actually went down in history. The Suicide Squad. It was in Arroyo Seco, 15 kilometers east of the Hollywood sign that Parsons would eventually build the Jet Propulsion Lab. It was three weeks after the film debut of Judy Garland that Parsons would test the world's first successful rocket on November 15th, 1936. Because of this, Parsons and his team were offered a spot at Caltech to continue their testing of the black powder. In a lifetime of garnering powerful enemies, it was in 1938 that he made his second and third most powerful. Los Angeles Mayor Frank L. Shaw and LAPD Captain Earl Kinnett were on trial for an assassination attempt against a private investigator who was digging up dirt on both of them. The entire police force had taken a vow of silence. But unfazed, Parsons went on the stand, providing key evidence as an expert witness, proving that the two men had used a powerful improvised explosive device in the attempted murder. It was in 1940 when Parsons and his team were exiled from the Caltech labs due to a massive string of complaints by staff. Finding refuge in Arroyo Seco and a large barrel of funding from the US military, the team found themselves under increased scrutiny, including from the FBI. As more and more military elements entered the project, by 1943, this group at Arroyo Seco would be christened the Jet Propulsion Lab or JPL. And, in a lifetime of garnering powerful enemies, 
It was during this time that Parsons met his most powerful enemy, Desmond Lynch. The increased military and FBI scrutiny on JPL didn't worry any of the members, except for Jack Parsons. You see, Jack's passions in life were his yin and his yang, and both had brought him to this point in equal measure. His yang and first passion had been science, but his yin was a big reason why the JPL had experienced so many early difficulties. Rocket science had a huge stigma. It was literally associated with black magic. And black magic also happened to be the other obsession of Jack Parsons. One of the simplest and most profound powers of black magic is the descent into insanity. Regardless of whether black magic is real or not, there's infinite cases of someone believing that they're cursed and then being plunged into the depths of madness because of it. The Holy Wood knew this all too well at the time. Celebrities who had fallen off the wagon a little too hard could wake up to find a gaggle of psychiatrists at their door under the pretense of help and under the cover of night's darkness to whisk you off to a sanitarium. Are there more to the stories of these unfortunate celebrities? Clean-cut Lothario Wallace Reed, It Girl Clara Bow, silent film icon Buster Keaton, troubled actress Frances Farmer was institutionalized under the pretense that she was afraid of global communism, despite being a communist herself. And before her internment, comedy actress Alma Rubens was seen running down Hollywood Boulevard, brandishing a knife, screaming, I'm being kidnapped. I'm being kidnapped. And so, finally, we find ourselves back in New York. Madame Lumen, a local psychic and very close associate of Margaret Olson, inquired from funeral home to hospital about her disappearance. It was eventually Dr. Saperstein that provided the answer that after the tragic loss of her firstborn, Charlie, Margaret Olson had joined the esteemed ranks of a number of celebrities at the time and was now interned at a Los Angeles sanitarium. Madame Lumen knew Margaret far before she had stepped foot in New York, back when she was known as Mudbelt Maggie. Mudbelt Maggie and Madame Lumen shared the same gift, and although their secrets were mutually safe with each other, it just didn't make sense that Maggie would leave without telling Madame Lumen anything. Although Maggie was the only thing keeping Madame Lumen in New York, it might have also been guilt that drove her to travel across the country to find her. Maggie's final correspondence to her was harsh. Madame Lumen was supposed to scare Jack into refusing the job, not make him think that she had rifled through his belongings. Madame Lumen's disheartening first day in the Holy Wood added a profound sense of urgency to the situation. Her first and only lead 
sent her to a sanitarium that didn't exist. When she went to the one with the most similar sounding name, the orderlies of Camarillo State Mental Hospital instantly rebuked her, rudely. Like the Hollywood cliche, Madame Lumen had come to the boulevard of broken dreams in search of something, and now found herself at two in the morning and no place to go. And so it was on the fourth day. Where there is a will, there is a reward. Madame Lumen was sitting at a bus stop. A man sat next to her and struck up a conversation. Ironically, the same flowing, colourful clothing and ornate jewellery that had led hospital staff to dismiss her instantly seemed to attract this man to her. Madame Lumen mentioned some, but not all of the details regarding her arrival in the city. Although the conversation was lively and pleasant, its inability to find a natural end clued the man on the bench that this woman didn't have a place to stay. Madame Lumen hesitated for a moment, but then accepted the kind offer. Then she asked his name. The man responded that his name was Marvel Whiteside, but everyone called him Jack Parsons. You've just listened to episode 9 of The Sulfuric Secrets. I know how trite it is to say that this episode has been my favourite to research, considering I said the same thing about the Heaven's Gate two-parter just last week, but this one takes the crown. With the end of season one in sight, this was only meant to be a single episode, and then doing the research this weekend, I honestly could not put down the source material. And so, here we have another two-parter. I'll post the major sources for this one, but as most of you have probably guessed, Hollywood Babylon was hugely influential. If you liked this episode, consider sending some love on Patreon. All amounts are greatly appreciated. And feel free to get in touch on Instagram or Twitter. Until then, thank you and good night. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.